the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. On a purely elemental basis, where we're just looking at the minerals in the body, a man or a woman is worth about, oh, two, three bucks. God places a different standard, as we'll see next, though. Here today on Walk Through the Word. Join us. From North Creek Church here in Walnut Creek, this is Walk Through the Word with Pastor Kent Presto. Welcome to our program. As we read through the scriptures, we see time and time again that God gets his will accomplished. We also see that he sometimes does so in ways that we don't necessarily understand. Well, today we're continuing our verse-by-verse examination of Exodus. We find ourselves in chapter 13 today. That's where we would encourage you to join us as we catch up with Pastor Kent for today's Walk Through the Word. Here's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to see how the institutions surrounding Passover, the institutions surrounding Passover, provide practical gospel-centered principles for our homes and our families. Okay, so what we're seeing this morning from God's Word, right up front, and you're going you're gonna to need that because this passage gets into the weeds a little bit. But big picture is we're going to see how the institutions surrounding Passover provide practical gospel-centered principles for our homes and our families. Okay? Now look, we've already read from chapter 13 verses 1 through 10. So let's do a little bit of review to set the context in case you're joining us for the first time, and then we'll dive right in. If you remember back in chapter 12, we were looking at that 10th plague that hit the land of Egypt. And this is what the people of God, Israel, still in Egypt. And they are being given instructions in chapter 12, 1 through 28, with regard to the Passover. The Passover. And in fact, if you look at the screen, you'll see kind of a a little bit of a simplified structure to chapter 12 than we've been looking at when we actually walk through it. And that's with regard to that, that structure of Passover being explained by God in verses 1 through 14 of chapter 12, and then an explanation of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which immediately follows it and is coupled to it in verses 15 through 20 of chapter 12. And that's followed up by more guidance from Moses to the elders with regard to Passover again. So there's a Passover, unleavened bread, Passover pattern, or an ABA pattern. And then you actually hit the historical narrative of the Passover event itself, of the 10th plague, and that night, that amazing night of Passover in verses 29 through 42. And then from instructions to history, we move to the institutions that are being laid down now, or the the laws pertaining to these different festivals of Passover. And the reason why I say surrounding Passover, everybody, is because they all kind of go together a little bit. 
there's this distinction to be made, but there's also a relationship to be, uh, to keep them together. And so um, there is the institution of Passover that's then formally announced and laid down, not just for the present generation of Israelites, but for every generation of Israelites in verses 40, uh, um, excuse me, verse 43 through 51 in chapter 12 to conclude the chapter. And then if you look at the beginning of chapter 13, maybe in your Bibles, it gives you the first two verses are just a brief introduction to this uh, institution called the, the dedication or the consecration of the firstborn son. And then the Bible jumps over in verses 3 through 10 to look at the feast of unleavened bread again a second time. And then it comes back to the, uh, the address of the firstborn son. And so the institutions surrounding Passover are lined out for us in the first part of chapter 13. Now, look, we've already looked at Passover last week, right? And the the setting up of the institution to be memorialized in those verses in chapter 12, verses 43 through 51. But now we turn our attention to chapter 13 with the dedication or the consecration of the firstborn son or the firstborn in Israel. Now, look, I don't know when I read the passage, if you thought to yourself, wait a minute, I'm reading on in chapter 13 and it seems weird. The arrangement seems weird. Like why is God in his word addressing the firstborn and then addressing the feast of unleavened bread again a second time and then addressing the firstborn again a second time? What's going on here? Well, it's true. The arrangement of this chapter, the first major section of it, seems strange at first. But when you start to look at it a little bit more, it it starts to make a little bit more sense. Because when you address the firstborn son in verses 1 and 2, which, by the way, is not surprising given what Passover is about, right? Passover is about God's judging angel passing over the house of the Hebrews because they had applied the blood of the lamb. They trusted in the blood of the lamb and were spared. The firstborn son's life was spared. Given that what Passover was, the the observance or the institution of the firstborn son right is not surprising. The shift to the the feast of the unleavened bread is happening in verses 3 through 10, then shifting back to the firstborn son creates another ABA pattern in chapter 13. Now, again, I've already told you there's an ABA pattern in chapter 12, right? And some of you are going like, oh my goodness, what are you talking about? It's only like, it's not even 11 o'clock in the morning, Kent. You're, you're killing me on the grammar. Well, but, but I am trying to get you to understand God's word. And, and when, you, when you stop to think about it a little bit, it makes more sense. And then it enables you to be able to get more clarity and understanding. And eventually through understanding application to your own life. So it's worth pausing on the grammar. Okay, so bear with me for a second. There is an ABA pattern in chapter 12. Passover, unleavened bread, Passover. Okay, now with regard to the institutionalizing of some of these same things around Passover, there's an ABA pattern again. Firstborn son, unleavened bread, firstborn son. What is that trying to teach us by way of structure? Well, I think the intended effect is to highlight in both chapters the A sections. In other words, Passover, unleavened bread, Passover in chapter 12 is meant to emphasize the Passover. In chapter 13 here before us this morning, the ABA pattern is meant to focus on the firstborn son ritual. And so that is what we're going to spend more of our time on this morning because we've already looked at the unleavened bread regulation back in chapter 12, first of all. And second of all, because it's not, I don't think the focus here in chapter 13 is much grammatically. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to put on the screen that we've already seen the institutions surrounding Passover to be letter A, Passover itself, and B, the firstborn son. But I'm going to put B on the shelf and come back to it, okay? Let's work through C, the Feast of Unleavened Bread in verses 3 through 10 right now. And as we work through that, I just want to stop right here for a second as we consider verses 3 through 10 and, and think about something that you, when you maybe heard this passage read, you're going like, wait a minute, time out. I have a question. Now, our, our church has a pretty robust one-to-one discipleship program. Jeremy Prey was giving us announcements this morning and it reminded me of that ministry that he helps to oversee along with Sue Miller, our women's ministries director, with one-to-one discipleship. And that ministry is all about individual discipleship, as you could guess, and growth in the Christian life that occurs from those individual discipleship relationships. It doesn't it's, it's kind of not meant to take away from community life in our church. We don't want to take, take the gas pedal off our community life expressions in life stages or in community groups. And it's definitely not a call to take the gas pedal off of what we do in terms of service to the body in ministry across the life of the church. But rather it's meant to answer the bell for individual discipleship relationships that are more informal than biblical counseling relationships. But but more pointed than small group ministry relationships tend to be. And one of the key components of our one-to-one discipleship is a commitment to read through and study the Bible together. And one of the ways that we encourage the disciple or the disciplee to get into the word is what we call through the, the way of light bulbs, question marks, and arrows. And many, many of you have heard of this before. It basically follows the observation, interpretation, application grid. But, but light bulbs are like aha moments when you read the passage. So you read the passage, let's say, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you go, oh, look at that. I hadn't seen that before. Aha, it's a light bulb. And you, you share those insights and observations together to create a hunger for God's word as you observe it. And then question marks are questions that when you read it together, you're going like, I don't get that. I don't understand that. What's going on here? And it provides fuel for future study, a desire to get into God's word deeper. And then arrows are ways that you both, when you read, go, look at that. After the light bulbs, after the questions, you move to arrows, which are application points from God's word for your life for that particular time and season meeting with that individual. So light bulbs are insights or observations about the passage. Question marks are questions that you want to answer or get answers to about the text for future study. And then arrows are practical applications of the word to your life. And we think that's a good portion of what individual discipleship looks like alongside the life on life components too. And so look, as I was studying this section of God's word with regard to the unleavened bread, a question came up in my mind. And I actually thought about the light bulbs, question marks, and arrows grid of Bible study. And I I have this question that I want to pose to you and see if you were asking the same thing. Here it is. You ready? Hasn't Exodus already covered this? I mean, haven't we already been here before? The the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we've, we've covered this ground. Why go over it again in God's word? And I got to admit... It's a good question to ask. And by the way, it's a good question to ask, especially in the Old Testament and especially in the law section of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, because repetition happens and it happens at least on occasion, if not with some kind of frequency. So what we learned last week when Passover was brought up more than one time in chapter 12 was, okay, 
Well, let's not get bored. Let's dive in. Let's ask ourselves the question. Maybe there's something new in the repetition that wasn't there before that God wants us to know now this time around. And so if you're taking that grid of of looking at God's word and wanting to dive into it to see the differences between this time and last time, then what you'll notice is God gives us a date this time. He gives us the month of Aviv or Abib in verse four. It's Aviv, if you want to pronounce it somewhat correctly. I'm sure my Hebrew pronunciation is not totally accurate, but today in the month of Aviv, you are going out. And so that's new. And that That month, we know from some um, correspondence in the Holy Land later on that we found archaeologically, corresponds to the barley harvest in uh, the the land of Israel. And the barley harvest in the land of Israel happens in April. And so right around this time of year was when God's people went out of Egypt. And we know that because of Passover being celebrated in the same time. So that is one difference. but, But why other differences? And what are the other differences? Well, Why go over this again in God's word? Well, notice there's several reasons why the Bible wants us to go through this again. And let me give those to you in short order, okay? Reason number one, reason number one why God wants to go over the unleavened bread festival again is because in Exodus 12, God gave the instruction to Moses. That's the context in 12, 15 through 20 if you look carefully. But here in chapter 13, Moses is passing the institution now on to the people of God. And so same thing happened in chapter 12 with Passover. Remember, God gave his instruction about Passover to Moses. And then when the repeat happened, it was because Moses was giving it to the elders. So same thing's happening here now with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God gave the festival of unleavened bread uh, information to Moses in 12, 15 through 20. And now Moses is passing it along to the people in 13, 3 through 10. That's the first reason for going over it again. Reason number two. I hope that, by the way, pause right here. Time out. Time out. We don't have any sports right now, but I'm going to still use sports analogies. Time out. I just want to remind you that I hope this creates a hunger in you for God's word, man. I, look, you can, you can be bored with God's word and it is in every occurrence because of us, not it, right? So you know if this is like, wait a minute, time out. Uh, I'm kind of getting like, kind of dragging through this passage. Well, hey, newsflash. It ain't the Bible's problem. It's my problem. So this is a good exercise for us to go, man, I am not going to let my mind go there. I'm not going to let my heart go there. I'm going to engage, okay? So reason number one is because it's coming from Moses to the people instead of from God to Moses. Reason number two, why it's here again, is because in Exodus 12, the Feast of Unleavened Bread instruction was for use beginning with that first Passover, okay? So it was meant to be implemented effective immediately, and there's, there's a reason why some of the language in chapter 12 about the uh, Unleavened Bread Festival is more immediate sounding. Now, some of it is still timeless, but not as much. In chapter 13, though, the institution is set up, and it's to be observed upon entrance into the promised land. Look at chapter 13, verse 5. And when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites— which he swore to your fathers to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, there you shall keep this service in this month. And so in this particular telling, God's setting up the institution for future use, not immediate use. And that's another difference. That's why it's being repeated again. Reason number three. In Exodus 12, 
Both first and last days are said to be holy assemblies. Holy assemblies. You can see that in chapter 12, verse 16. But here in Exodus 13, the seventh day is highlighted and given special emphasis. And the seventh day is also said to be a feast or something of like a massive meal. Now look, back in chapter 12, you don't necessarily get the idea that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is much of a feast. It's more of a you shall not feast on leavened bread. And by the way, you shall have a holy assembly or something like you should get everybody together for a church service. But do you see what's happening here now? In chapter 13, as you get a little more information and God's putting down the actual institution for generations to come in the promised land, the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is super cool. You want to know why? Because it's not just a church service. It's a great family gathering. It's like this big, wampin' feast and festival. It's also to be a holy assembly. It's not like chapter 12 goes away. So it is a little bit, guys, like our great family gathering. The last day of the feast would be a massive worship service. And then it would be a a massive meal or feast. It would have been a great day. It would have been a great day. It it does kind of, to me, seem a little bit like a great family gathering. And so that is new in this particular retelling of the unleavened bread. And then the fourth reason why, and maybe you can find more reasons, but these are the reasons I discovered. A fourth reason why to retell this again is because in Exodus 12, there's only a passing statement of the rationale for the feast that's made. Just a passing statement about the rationale. Look at chapter 12, verse 17, and you'll see that there. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. Why? Because on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. So there's a a statement of purpose, the reason why this is to be done. And it's a good purpose statement. It's not bad. It's just short. Now, in chapter 13, this rationale is central to the institution itself. So the purpose behind the festival is shoved to the the front, or you could say it's actually shoved to the back. It's the climactic statement of the whole retelling in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 10, or chapter 13, which we've already read. In fact, looking at the rationale, because I'm a big guy for giving rationale, right? I mean, I'm I'm a big guy for why is this here? Why would God put this in his word? Why include this law? Why include this instruction? Why include this festival? Why put it in there again? I'm a big fan of that why question. And thankfully, so is God. And he gives us the why. And there's different elements to answer the rationale. Here are the different elements of the rationale. Why the festival of unleavened bread? Why is it important to observe? Well, number one, verse eight. You shall tell your son on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Stop. Let me ask you a question about that. It's because of what the Lord did for who? Me. Now, surely that was true of the initial generation. But notice what God's doing here. He's not giving this present generation an institution that only lasts for the generation. Coming out, of the promised land, or coming out of the land of bondage. This is for every generation to come. So in other words, there is to be a personalization of Passover and the institutions around Passover 
that incorporate an ownership of these to such an extent that to a certain degree you can say, we were there. We were there. The people of God were there. I'm one of the people of God. I was there. There is a a timeless personalization to this that is not something freaky and weird. It just, I think it hints at some of our union with the people of God. It's because of what the Lord did for me, not for them back then, but for me as part of the people of God when I came out of Egypt. Now, it's not literally true, but as insofar as the people of Israel are linked together through a common uh, worship of Yahweh and through a common salvation worked through uh, the, the exodus out of the land of Egypt, there is an ownership here. There's a personalization. So there's an element, you could say, then of personal testimony of personal testimony. That's one of the really important reasons why the festival of unleavened bread needed to be observed to link the future generations with this generation and show that they together share one common salvation. Another important component of the reason why is in verse nine, verse nine. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. Note the element of sign and memorial here. There is something important that God wants us to know, which is that it's important for us to remember. It's important for us to remember. Redemptive history is to be actively recalled to mind. And not in some kind of passive, like I just, I'm just kind of going through the motions. It's a, it's a ritual and it's an empty ritual to me, kind of rehearsal of history, dead history. No, 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 no. This is not dead history. This is meant to be recalled actively back into our life, actively applied to the people of God's life, this element of sign and memorial. I mean, what do you think that we're doing here? We, we've made the parallel between Passover and the Lord's Supper, right? And clearly God was doing that in Christ in the upper room in John 13, 14, 15, and 16, and 17. But, but with the upper room and the memorial of the Lord's Supper, isn't that what we're doing? I mean, aren't we actively recalling to mind the broken body of Christ at the cross and the, and the shed blood of Christ on the cross that pays the price for our sin? Isn't it that we're not just passively observing a rite? At least we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be just kind of drudgingly walking through the motions of an empty dead ritual. No, 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 no. We need to be actively recalling to mind the, the different ways that God has provided for his people in salvation at the Lord's table, namely at the, at the Lord's table with regard to the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ memorialized in the cup and in the bread. Here, this is to be something that's observed by way of unleavened bread and not eating of unleavened bread for seven days and having a holy assembly on day one and having a holy assembly feast on day seven and not doing any work the whole week, setting aside that week to remember God's salvation. That's an element that needs to be actively practiced and not just practiced, but remember, this is a mind thing. And the mind, as the Puritans used to say, is the gateway to the heart. It's the gateway to the heart. An active mind is one of the primary ways that God activates the heart in worship to him. So we note the element of personal testimony. That's why this is important. We note the element of sign and memorial. That's why unleavened bread is important to observe in the future. And then notice that the cause for those two, 
is found in verse 9 at the end. You remember the elements of personal testimony. You remember the elements of sign and memorial. Why? Verse 9. So that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. The cause of A and B on your screen is C, God's word. God's word. Why do you remember the, the feast of unleavened bread? Because God made a promise and he came through. He came through. Well, how do you know what God's promises were? By looking into his law, looking into his word. And we can see his promises and know that he fulfilled them and trust afresh in our God. Man, nothing builds trust faster in our God than looking in his word, seeing promises made, and then reading further in the word and seeing promises kept. I love that in the scripture. Where are all the promises of God kept? They are all kept and fulfilled in Christ Jesus, right? All the promises of God are in Christ, yes, and in him, amen. That is to say, is this promise fulfilled in Christ? Answer, yes. Is it really fulfilled in Christ? Yes. Will it be fulfilled in Christ? That's what amen means. Yes. Amen means so be it. So let it be. So look at this is so cool in the Bible. When Paul says, are all the promises of God fulfilled in Christ? The answer is yes. The promises that have already been fulfilled have been fulfilled in him. Will every other promise be fulfilled in Christ that has yet to be fulfilled? The answer is amen. It will be. So let it be. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ or will be fulfilled in Christ. Well, thank you for joining us here today on Walk Through the Word with Pastor Kent Dresto, the broadcast ministry of North Creek Church here in Walnut Creek. You can join us each weekday as Pastor Kent opens the Bible and teaches directly from God's Word. For more information about this ministry, we invite you to visit our website, walkthroughtheword.com. That's walkthroughtheword.com. If you're in the greater East Bay area, we would invite you to visit us here in Walnut Creek as we seek to make disciples who worship God, walk in love, and witness to the world. You can find service times, directions on our website, the church website, northcreek.org. And if you've been encouraged and blessed by the teaching today, we invite you to help support this ministry through your prayerful giving. Simply visit our website, walkthroughtheword.com, or our church site, northcreek.org. And then join us next time as we again walk through the Word with Pastor Kent Dresdo. Walk Through the Word is the ministry of North Creek Church here in Walnut Creek. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.